podcasting from Knoxville along the banks of the mighty Tennessee River. This is the Startup Knox podcast featuring interviews with local entrepreneurs about their startups. I'm your host, Brandon Bruce, and today we continue our special series of interviews with Knoxville investors. I'm talking with Chris Ayala, Managing Director of Drum Capital Management. Drum is a lower middle market private equity firm focused on leveraged buyouts of companies owned by private individuals, families, and other private equity sponsors. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks so much, Brandon. I appreciate it. So big news for you. You spent a couple years, a few years here in Knoxville, and now you have relocated up to New York and Drum is based in Connecticut. And when we were just talking before the show, I think the biggest latest news for many of us, including you at Drum, is you're back in the office. What has, what has investing been like for you all over the last six months of the pandemic? Yeah, it, it's, it, it, have you ever been on a roller coaster physically? Because it's it's been unbelievable. Um, you know, heading into this this scenario, we were having a really great start to the to the year, and all of a sudden the pandemic comes about. And you, you, as a private equity owner, we actually own operating businesses, right? And so when the uncertainty of the world, you have to start thinking about the employees at the company. You have to start thinking about the profits and the revenues of the company. Um, and all of a sudden, instead of looking for new opportunities and, and where to capital, we instead had to turn completely 100% focused on our actual portfolio companies and make sure the businesses themselves are, are propped up appropriately, but then also make sure that the people that are working there are safe. Uh, they understand what's going on outside of their communities um, and where we can have, uh, provide as much resource as possible to make sure that they're successful still operating the companies and at their homes uh, during the uncertain times. So it's been crazy. So it sounds like for you all, a lot of the focus over the last several months has been operational, really getting in the weeds with the, the companies uh, that you own to make sure, like you say, employees are healthy and safe, uh, that companies have sufficient liquid assets to continue operations, right, and continue to try to meet their, their targets. And meanwhile, is it fair to say then that deployment of new capital, buying new companies, sourcing deals, did that kind of go on pause or were you still kind of constantly looking, uh, but waiting to deploy capital to a certain time? So for new new acquisitions, where we were going to buy a business and rely on third-party lenders to help finance it, that basically came to a complete uh, stop. And, and primarily driven by, by those third-party lenders, because of the uncertainty around them, they weren't really looking to put new money out into the marketplace. Um, however, on add-on there was still some some opportunity there. And actually, during the middle of the pandemic, I got a phone call to, to potentially buy an add-on business that's based in Houston, Texas. And so at the time, I was still in Knoxville. So I got in the car and I drove to Houston to go visit the business. I didn't want to get on an airplane. Um, and that was from an add-on perspective. And, and that type of work still went on. And some of the lending relationships we had, they were still open to helping to support add-ons because the larger portfolio company or the platform they're already pretty comfortable with. Um, so, yeah, new acquisitions really slowed down. Add-on acquisitions slowed, but there's still a couple of deals that could get done for us. And what are you seeing now in terms of the appetite of the third-party lenders? Have, have some of their restrictions relaxed? Are they starting to want to deploy more debt capital, or is it still tight compared to you know February, March? Yeah, um, 
I, I think it goes by sort of the, the conservative nature of that lender. So if it's a if it's a regional or smaller bank, I think they're still a little bit hesitant. Um, I think if it's sort of a lending fund, you know, which maybe is making more interest payments and uh, it's a little bit ex- more expensive debt, I think those guys are back in market now. So I think you, you can find some deals. If you can find a good deal you want to do, you can find the leverage to do the deal. It's just not going to be on pre- maybe the friendliest terms you'd want to see currently. Yeah, makes sense. So we, we've talked before about, and you've done lots of deals over the years. Uh, what's been your favorite so far? And it's hard to choose favorites, right? Every deal's different. Everyone's a, a learning experience. They're all different types of operating businesses. But does one jump out to you as a favorite? I'll tell you, it's the one that it's it's the most recent one we did, um, and it, it's a it's the acquisition of a vinyl window business up in Minnesota. Uh, bought the business from a seventy year old man. He he didn't have a, uh, a succession plan, so he wanted to sell to a, a new owner. Um, there are so many aspects to it of, of why I love uh, have a great relationship with the gentleman that we bought it from. Um, it's a business that every time you go there. You sort of you, you can get excited about it, um, whether it's because the, the company and its products are so great, um, if it's because of the the energy of the workforce and pride that they take in the product that they're putting out in the market, or also you know as an investor I want to try and see improvements. And so I think there's a number of areas where where I as an investor rather than an operator even see opportunities where if we brought in the right folks or if we trained a current management team. We could we could find more value and really make the company keep going and get even better. Um, so it's a it's a business we bought about a year ago, um, and I'm still heavily involved and and I'm heavily involved because I really really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a great deal for me. And is that a deal that that you all went and sourced and found, or did it come to you? And and if so, through through what channels? And and, and how do you all typically uh, find the deals? That you get, yeah, yeah, and absolutely. So there's there's really two models. We we utilize both. One is sort of proprietary, where uh, we reach out to businesses uh, in certain areas geographically or in different industries that we're familiar with, um, and we're looking for a certain size business, and we'll just try and introduce ourselves to either senior executive or the ownership group, and say, hey, you know, we'd be interested in your company. Here's what we're sort of looking for. So that proprietary outreach, it takes a lot of work um, and a lot of time, but sometimes you can really build nice relationships with folks or potentially get better value there when there is not an intermediary or investment banker. The other side of the model was using an intermediary or business broker. Um, We reached out to a group of them. Uh, We have about a thousand folks that we connect with pretty regularly. Um, And they were uh, were engaged by the seller of the business to, to bring the company to market. And we went through that auction process. Um, we're able to make a competitive bid. It wasn't the highest bid, but it, we thought it was a good bid and it sort of met a lot of the goals of the seller. And we were able to structure a deal and get it done. Fantastic. Um, what about the company is especially attractive to you? This specific company or a company in general, is it its opportunity for organic growth is it the opportunity to do add-on acquisitions like the ones that you mentioned before, right? That where there was still uh, third-party lender capital available, like, hey, this is a really great tuck-in acquisition for this existing company that we already own. Is it operational efficiency? Hey, we've got some talent that we can either source or that we've got ready and available on the bench that we can bring to bear at this company and that will help 
improve it. Uh, you mentioned the product already for the vinyl windows. Like yeah. it's just got such a great <clears throat> product and a great workforce. I mean, there's so many factors here. What's kind of the, the special mix that, that you all look for in terms of vetting it as an investment opportunity? Yeah. I, so I, I'd say there's three things that are paramount when I look at a business. One, does it cash flow? Is it a profitable business um, that if for something goes wrong, I know at least if it continues to sell, it's going to generate positive cash. So th- that's that's paramount for our type of investing. I know for earlier stage companies, it's a little different, but uh, for, for our investing thesis, that's number one. I think number two is that uh, the product that it sells, there's demand for. Um, there's oftentimes businesses that we look at and I sort of look at what they're doing and I'm like, I don't know if a lot of people want that product. Um, so if, if there's a demonstrated ability to sell the product or that the product sort of sells itself, I think that's awesome because I know that, again, there, there is demand in the marketplace. Everything else can be managed, but you can't really create demand for something uh, without spending a whole lot of money in marketing. Um, and I think the third, you talked about efficiencies. We actually like for looking for businesses that we think are inefficient. Um, we, we think that we've got a lot of operational background. And so we're looking for companies that somebody's owned, they've operated, they've done it the best that they think it can be done, but maybe not with a lot of outside perspective. And so we think that sometimes we can come in, offer that outside perspective and take something that runs pretty well, and make it run really well. And so without adding a lot of labor, without adding a lot of other necessary expense to the business, we can actually make uh, create a little bit more value in the company. Um, so when, when I see those three sort of items, um, I, I start to get real excited with the company. Yeah, no doubt. And is, is, does Drum typically, is it a long-term holder? Are you holding companies for you know a, a decade or more? Do you have sort of a, a window where you're looking to, to make a subsequent sale? Kind of five to seven years is often a, a typical timeline. What's the overall uh, thesis that, that you guys invest on? I think it's a, it's closer with that six to seven years. Um, and, and part of that is because we need to see a little bit of that time for the inefficiency to get worked out and then to implement it, uh, to imp- start seeing the improvements based on having implemented those uh, improvement processes. We, we hold for a six to seven year time period. Uh, the reason for that is uh, when we buy a company that we think has inefficiencies, we think it's going to take about a year to, to identify those, implement changes to make them efficient. Um, and so from there, we like to hold the company for about five years. So that gets us to our six-year period of time uh, from an investment process. Yeah, makes sense. Take us back to the beginning. So when you first started in this business, first, what attracted you to it? How did you get into investing? And then, and then talk about your first deal. Yeah. Um, so my, my background is nonlinear. Um, I started as a co- corporate attorney in New York City doing M&A deals for private equity groups. But quickly realized I didn't sort of like that seat in the transaction. I, I really like working with ownership groups, uh, buying the companies, trying to work on improving the companies, and then eventually selling the companies to the back end. And <clears throat> a, a corporate attorney doesn't really do that, just does the acquisition side or the sales side. But isn't involved in sort of that midterm process. So um, realized I wanted to, to move up and and obviously the investing side is where you do all of that. And so going to a, a number of different seats, some of them operational, some of them legal, some of them investing, 
um, I ended up where I am today. And, and I'm very happy about it. Um, I, I like where I ended up. I like the types of companies I work with and I like the types of management teams that I have an opportunity to introduce myself to and really get to know during a, an ownership period. Um, that first deal, you know, the, the first deal sticks out in my mind so much. Um, it, was a, it was, I don't, don't want to use names, but it was a three brothers. We bought the business from three brothers up in Massachusetts. Um, they were doing some, some biotech science. Um, and came up with a really great solution um, involving plasma. And it, it was so wild because uh, it, it, the first deal when we closed, it wasn't what I expected. Um, I thought that there, everybody would be really excited about um, taking over in the, the transition of the company. And we were excited to buy the company. But when we sat at the closing table and I looked at the three brothers, it's almost as though they just sold their baby. Um, they didn't really know what they were, they were, had plenty of money, but they didn't really know what they were going to do with their careers next. And something that they'd worked together on, on building and living through was now no longer theirs. And why this was so remarkable for me is, is that I thought that they'd be thrilled just with the money in the bank, but it, there was more to it than that. And so the recognition I had at the time was that you're not just buying a company, you're buying somebody's life's work. And there is a responsibility. Uh, to be a good steward to that business after you're the new owner, um, that at times is more paramount than making you know good profit. Um, and so I, I've taken that experience and I try and implement that when I look at the businesses we're looking at. Not only is this a good business financially, but is this a business that I know that I can be a good steward for, take care of, um, and and have the people who sold it to me they're proud of it uh, for many years to come. Um, and so it's remarkable and memorable for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such an important reminder, all of us in the, in the business world, whether as entrepreneurs or investors or ecosystem builders, supporters uh, of the network of entrepreneurs, sometimes get over-focused on, on the numbers, right? The traction, uh, how many customers, what's the revenue growth, what's year over year, month over month, is cash flowing, et cetera. Those are all really important in measuring the success of a company, but it's also our time on planet Earth. It's emotional, Right, you've invested a lot of yourself into these companies, and so remembering that as a founder, also knowing it as an investor, so that you can meet entrepreneurs halfway, um, I think is super important. All of us would do well uh, to keep that, like you say, top of mind, because this is folks' life's work. Even if they've just built a startup for a year and a half and then sell it, that's still a year and a half of their time, and it's probably uh, if I think about many of the entrepreneurs I've talked with, that might have been 24-7 for a year and a half, right? So it's a big emotional experience. It's a roller coaster for them. Um, and so the purchase of that needs to be done with, with care or should be. Um, that's certainly the goal. You mentioned earlier, and I just used the word now, uh, roller coaster. Whenever we're interviewing entrepreneurs on the podcast, they frequently refer to, to the ups and downs, right? Uh, everything was great and then cash flow plummeted and then we got a key higher and everything improved. And then the product went down and et cetera. And, and it kind of goes up and down. From an investment perspective, right? So many of these are wins. You see the operational efficiency. You get the great return on investment that you want. Sometimes though, it's, it's not as great as you wanted. Um, talk about a, a, a disappointment or a time where you thought this, this didn't go the way that I wanted or that I thought it was going to go. You know, I think it disappoint. We're working on one right now that's disappointing. Um, 
we, we invested in a business alongside two other investors. Um, we brought in a new management team, a new CEO, and a new head of operations. And you know, at the at the outset, we were all very we thought it was a great opportunity. Um, during that period of time, relationships have, have fractured for whatever reason. Some of it because the company hasn't performed as well as we like, but but some of it they just were the wrong mix of people. Um, a lot of this, like you said, it's it's financially driven, but there's more important things, and a lot of that is relationship. Um, and so, right now we've got a, a board situation where it's <clears throat> I'm one member, there's two other people, and the three of us don't get along real well. And we've had to change the CEO, and we've had to change the COO, and we're all sort of staring at each other during every board meeting, and it's not it's not a great experience. But part of life is supposed to be fun, particularly when it's your work, because it's called work. There's a lot to do, so you better have a good time doing it. Um, and so that that's a scenario right now that the performance is fine, but really the, the, the enjoyment of working with other people isn't there, and it's been real disappointing. Yeah. Talk about the uh, the time that you spent in Knoxville. This was before you joined Drum. You were running a, a, a search yeah. fund here. Uh, explain to listeners what, what is a search fund and, and what was it like to run one here in Knoxville? Yeah, so I launched my search fund when I was in Knoxville. So I was in Knoxville for four years, um, ran my search fund for two of those years. A search fund is a, it's a different acquisition model. Um, basically, it's called... Uh, entrepreneurship through acquisition. Um, so instead of a, somebody saying, hey, I've got a great idea, let me build a business like, like you did, um, it's more of a model of somebody saying, hey, I, I'm pretty good at running businesses, but I'm not going to be a big picture you know, new idea guy. And so let me go find a business that cash flows well, but that isn't a huge company. Maybe it's a million, maybe $2 million EBITDA performance. Um, and let me go out there and buy it. And take over for that company from the big idea, great thinking uh, startup person, and then allow you know, my skill set to take the business to that next level. And so a search fund is like other investment funds. You go out, you find investors, uh, they, they back you financially, um, and you spend your time looking for a single company that you want to buy and then that you actually want to run as the, the day-to-day CEO. Um, so it's somewhere in between startup and it's somewhere in between private equity. Um, I think it sort of fills that middle gap. When we had a lot of great wins uh, together here in Knoxville, because we had a chance to start up uh, the Innovate 65 investor series events. Uh, so you and other investors were on a, a panel here that we held downtown. And it was a fantastic introduction to kind of the breadth of investment styles, types, and funds that are available, everything from seed to buyout. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. We got to work on some other projects here. So obviously, uh, we look forward to welcoming you back to Knoxville at any time, uh, whether you relocate back here or just come for a visit. Um, we will continue to push ahead and continue to support you know, Knoxville startups and also uh, keep apprised of the deals that you're doing with Drum and, and see where we can be useful. Um, for listeners, uh, let's do some rapid fire questions. What book are you reading? What would you recommend? Uh, Leonardo da Vinci by Walter Isaacson. What about podcasts? Obviously, you're on the Startup Knox podcast today, but when you're listening on your commute or your runs, uh, you have a podcast recommendation. What are you listening to? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I consume a lot of stuff by The Ringer uh, because it's both topical and sports related. And 
the guy who founded The Ringer, if you don't know, is a guy named Bill Simmons. Um, he's about 10 years older than I am. And so what he speaks to that actually resonates well with me uh, from, from when I was growing up. Um, he's also buddies with a guy named Dave Chang, who's a chef. And Dave and I w- uh, went to college together and we were friends there. Um, so oh, wow. he, every now and then nibbles onto the data points that I'm like, oh, I actually know what you're talking about. What's the best way for people to learn more about Drum? And what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Absolutely. So best way to reach uh, to learn more about Drum is drumcapital.com. Um, the best way to get in touch with me is uh, A-Y-A-L-A at drumcapital.com. Uh, or you can call my office. Uh, it's at 203-391-7556. The direct line where it all sure. happened. Absolutely, now that you're back man. in the office, you could have given that number out before, but you know, no, no one was in the office for the last couple months. Everyone's been working remote. Um, That's right. So we'll all, we'll all cross our fingers that everyone stays uh, healthy and safe. Uh, thanks again a bunch for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Misha, I hope you continue to do great things. And, uh, and let's catch up soon, will we? Let's do it. Sounds like a plan. And thanks, everybody, for listening to the Startup Knox podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe to listen to more interviews with Knoxville entrepreneurs. If you want to know more about today's episode, check out the show notes on our website at startupnox.com. Also on our site, you can find a startup ecosystem guide, a startup directory, a directory of investors, and a curated startup events calendar for Knoxville. Join me for the next episode where I'll talk with John Morris, fund manager at the Lighthouse Fund. Thanks for listening.